it's a bit early to share this, but I'll just tell you. But if people give you the diva, instead of staking them on Ethereum, if you stake them on diva as collateral, non-liquid, then you would get three times the APR from Ethereum just because of the way the ratios work. So if somebody just wants to max APR, um, you could use it as collateral in Diva. It's basically like a restaking, if you think about it. You're restaking with yourself. Welcome back to Web3 Builders. Today we have Diva. Pablo, you're joining us today. Thank you so much for joining. I think this is like the end cap to our mini series. We had Danny Ryan to talk about Lido. Then we had Ben Edgington to give us like an even more in-depth take on it. And now we have yourself almost like on the product solution to this whole problem that's going on with Lido. So we're really excited for today's conversation and welcome again to the show. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I'm Pablo. I'm one of the co-founders at uh, Diva. And uh, Diva is a distributed validation protocol. So what we're doing is we're combining the best parts from liquid staking. But instead of giving that to one operator or to a few node operators, what we've done is we we built this network of distributed validators um, where the smart contract is kind of routing to different ones based on code and not on anything like governance or whitelisting or anything like that. So um, yeah, we've been working on the project for about a year. It's still in development, but uh, already have a lot to show and, and like a pretty good idea of how it works. Okay, I didn't know you've been working on it for a while now. That's pretty cool to hear. Because I mean, this this moment with Lido has certainly come out of come out of Twitter recently. I think Evan uh, did a very important job of like putting this front and center. And we had Vitalik talk about it. We've had Danny talk about it. But there's been like a social push recently. We've seen like uh, Lido's like TVL go down or like percentage go down a little bit. And now. Diva seems to be like a product solution to that. So walk us through a little bit about like how you guys are thinking about that, how you guys are thinking from a competitor landscape. Uh, because hopefully like there's even more pop-up. I would like to see more pop-up than just like even Diva, just like more people getting in on this this uh, ground game of running validator nodes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I guess we can talk about two things. One is kind of motivation for Diva and the way the way it's being designed. And the other one is, I would like to share our experience building a vampire attack, basically. And I think that gives a really interesting blueprint. Like a lot of people, after it happened, reached out to me and they were like, wow, we want to copy this. And I want to share a bit that experience of how anybody can replicate that. Because I think today we're talking about Lido centralization. But as we keep going, this space is going to keep giving us tougher and tougher battles, right? And I think it's... It's always bad if one competitor takes most of the space. So I think I find it really beautiful, right, that we can have these economic incentives to kind of shift that balance back and that the bigger somebody comes and the, the bigger the risk is, but also the bigger the incentive to change that. So um, if you want, I can start a little bit with uh, about what Diva is building. So Diva let, means... Let me jump in there for a second. I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. You say like your competitors basically are... are DMing you and saying, hey, tell me about how I vampire attack. <laughs> like, tell me how I compete better with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, basically. <laughs> that's, that's funny because that is sort of the Ethereum ethos, right? It's like, uh, and you, you take that as like, oh, yeah, okay, sure. I'll, I'll... <laughs> well, the way I see it is, yeah, in the end, if there's a diversity of solutions, that means somebody's not designing just for one LST, but for a diversity. And I think everybody wins if we if we design that ecosystem, right? Um, but yeah, we'll go through details on why they're reaching out because it's not something we built. It was actually something that came from the community and a collaborator. But uh, yeah, we'll talk about that. 
Right on. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted. Let me go go back to what you were what you were about to say. <laughs> no problem. So maybe uh, the beginning of Diva is when Ethereum was designed. It had a very specific um, approach, right? Is you will lock thirty two ETH, and you will have them locked, and you won't be able to use them, and you will run your own node. But that that's kind of really restrictive criteria, right? First, you need to have thirty two ETH, which is fifty thousand dollars. You need to refuse to have liquidity, and then you need to run a node. And that's not the way it works in other ecosystems. Like if you go to Cosmos, for example, you have a list of operators, and you can simply pick one. And that has other issues, right? It, it ends up being delegated, proof of stake. Other networks have proof of authority where you have to choose somebody. And I think what we're seeing is Ethereum at large refusing the way it was designed <laughs> and adopting other protocols. Um, because the economics of the original design don't work so well for everybody. So um, what we saw first is with Lido. Lido said, okay, we will give you liquid staking. You don't have to lock capital anymore. You don't need 32 ETH, and you will have this token, and you can use that in DeFi. And that worked so well that it took off to a point that, uh, yeah, it's become <laughs> the biggest staking pool in the space. Um, and I think... To their credit, what they did well is that Lido is not bound by any kind of scalability uh, constraints, right? Like if you have other solutions like Rocket Pool, which I really, really like, um, Rocket Pool, what it does is it says, look, anybody can run a node, but you need to put some collateral. But because of that need for collateral, every operator needs to say, okay, I'll put 10, of, 10 ETH of my own. Um, I know it's oversimplifying, but 10 of my own ETH, and I will be matched with... Um, yeah, twenty-two from somebody else, or more. I believe it's I believe it's but, uh, yeah, I believe it's four now. That they would probably be very very what <laughs> what us to say, but yeah. So they will move it down. We can talk about the EIPs and how we get there, which is good for everyone. But at the moment, the problem, um, and you can see this in the last weeks, where the deposit pool has been full, and what that means is there's not enough operators. So many people want to use this LST and want more diversity. Uh, that the protocol is kind of constrained by operator capacity. So that's what Lido did to grow so quickly, and that's what's leaving other people behind. So then Rocket Pool said, look, where Lido was choosing a whitelist of 30-something node operators, Rocket Pool makes it permissionless, but because of the technology it uses, it doesn't use DVT. It uses one operator, one key. The collateral levels that it needs are prohibitive. So when we were working on Diva, we saw this opportunity with DVT and we said, hey, if you split a key and you kind of fragment that need for collateral between more people, now it becomes a lot easier because each one, instead of 10 ETH, they can just do one ETH. And when you go from 10 ETH to one ETH, that means maybe five or 10 more people can participate in invalidation. So what we did is kind of really strategically look at the bottlenecks and think scalability. How do we do it? We lower the barrier to entry. Um, how do we talk about trust minimizations? Tools like Lido or Coinbase or Kraken, you're trusting somebody, right? It's just a matter of who do you trust. And that means that Lido today is proof of authority because you're trusting this list of 30-something 30, 30 people. Um, and so their governance. Bit, and their governance, uh, exactly. And um, I, I think a lot of people don't realize the risk that you're doing when you are trusting something that's upgradable by a governance. Um, so you have scalability, trust minimization, and then you have decentralization. Like how do you make sure you add as many nodes as possible so it's much harder to capture? So we thought 
that wasn't possible before because you have this one key per operator paradigm. But with DBT, what we do in Diva is we cut the key in 16 little pieces and we give them to different people. So in a way, what we built is a layer two for staking, just like a multisig has multiple people to unlock um, custody of ETH. What Diva does is you need multiple nodes to perform validation. And thanks to that, we have only one ETH as a minimum. It's much better for operators and is much more resilient because up to 30% can go down without impacting the network. Yeah, so I'm looking at DeFi Lama right now, just looking at the TVL. You guys have about 31 million total value locked and there's been about those inflows like over the last month, which is amazing. Go from like nothing to you know millions of dollars very quickly. That being said, Lido does have like a huge, it was like, you know, 16 billion, I think of TVL right now, which is just huge. What are you thinking in terms of like accruing interest in this? Like, how do you keep the the prolonged social game up? I'm just thinking from like being in a startup perspective, it seems really, really tiring. So I guess you need like those memeable moments. You need those viral things to help draw people in. You need to start like kind of coordinating on the social layer to get people to uh, move over to Diva. The vampire attack has certainly worked in the past. We've seen those things succeed, but it is like quite the uphill battle. And I'm just curious how you guys as a team are thinking about that, how you guys are strategizing to like capture that TBL. Yeah, uh, good question. I think there's a problem of like, how do you bootstrap a network where you need stakers and operators? So I think you need to be strategic about how you go about this. So the first the first thing I think is building TVL. Uh, if you don't have TVL, operators aren't going to come online. Stakers aren't going to have somebody that validates for them. So I was really happy to see the result. The, the vampire attack was launched um, in a way that you can deposit STEs from Lido or ETH, just vanilla ETH, and it will be in a vault and it will be ready to open the floodgates once Diva is launched into mainnet. Uh, what that allows, if you have $30, $30 million, is it's already really worth it for a lot of operators to come online because then they can put a bit of collateral, they can make their higher operator rewards, and everything starts this flywheel, right? But as you're saying, 30 million is not that much. <laughs> if we want it to be number two, uh, we're talking about today, there's, um, yeah, if you look at Rocket Pool, for example, which is number two in liquid staking, they have 800,000 ETH, and that's one-tenth of what Lido has. So Lido has 8 million, Rocket Pool has about 800,000. So what we're aiming to do is first build TVL to make sure that there's an exciting network. Um, and the way to incentivize that is making people co-owners of the protocol. So... Right now, you can earn Diva allocations if you join that vampire attack. And later on, it will not just be about TVL, but you also need liquidity in pools, right? So I think there's already in the community discussions of, hey, let's go on different liquidity pools, let's incentivize DVs, let's create pairs against other LSTs and start creating this, this flywheel. Um, what I was surprised about is very few people are taking this seriously. So. A lot of people get to the point that they make an LST, it kind of works, but either it's missing some key feature, like withdrawals, or it's not decentralized enough, so they're just replicating Lido in a different name, or there's no liquidity. So I think you need to be really, really intentional. I think what we have going for Diva is that Diva is a relatively new protocol. There's a huge allocation in the DAO for incentives like this. Um, and yeah, I think there's also a lot of interest and and 
people looking for new solutions. And the way Diva is designed is really this orthodox kind of clean, single design way that's only based in code and not governance. So I think the mix of better product, probably distribution, coming at the right moment, uh, has the potential to, to be this perfect storm. I want to back up a second and ask about the moment that you started Diva. Like, how how did that happen? And then I'm going to ask about the moment that, that the vampire tech uh, came into fruition. So there were two moments. One was the DVT prototype, um, which I discovered. Like, the team was working on this DVT prototype. And they were like, look, there's Obel, there's SSV, but we have this. What can we do with it? And I thought, well, the biggest thing you can do is liquid staking because... Who's the team? Uh, that would be Prada, uh, Fernando, some other engineers. Um, and eventually, we're a few founders. But what makes Diva special as well is that there's a very strong engineering team. Um, one of the co-founders is a lawyer. So he is a crypto lawyer. So he descended off from the beginning to be decentralized from the start and not progressively. Um, and then me. <laughs> and I, I work more on like the design, economics, and, and so on. So once we had this idea, we thought, hey, if we apply to liquid staking, that would have the biggest impact, right? So we actually spoke to Lido and we spoke to some of the team members there and we said, hey, we think that you could use this to decentralize it. <laughs> but Vasily and the team said, yeah, we don't really believe in a decentralized civil resistance model uh, because it would be constrained by scalability. So then we took a deep breath and we thought, oh, well, now, now we have to do it. <laughs> kind of says it all right there, doesn't it? <laughs> so jury is still out. It might be that we run against a wall, but um, I don't know. I've been running numbers for a while. And honestly, I think, I think it will work. I don't see a major issue with the design. You're the, you're the economic designer, so I would hope you don't see it. <laughs> do... <laughs> So now let's talk about the moment of like the, the vampire attack uh, coming mm -hmm. into fruition. Like when was the moment you decided to to open this vault? So when yeah, when it was clear that it would work, we started thinking the the worst is the worst thing that could happen is missing the train. Is things happening so slowly that it takes a long time? That there's issues with supply? It needs to be something where everybody just adopts it. So we didn't propose this. Actually, there were conversations in the community of how to bootstrap TVL. And what happened is Avantgarde, the, the makers from Enzyme, came to us and said, hey, we have these vaults. You can use them to generate liquidity. And they wanted to jump into the LSDFI train. And we thought, OK, uh, that could work. So they, they made a proposal to the DAO. And what they said is, look, we have these vaults. They're non-custodial. You can deposit something there, and nobody will have custody of it. Uh, but they could be configured. So once Diva is launched, everything's unstaked from Lido and taken the ETH, and it can be staked into Diva, and we can request incentives from the DAO. So we did help them with feedback and like uh, sharing assets and kind of communicating with the community. But they've taken they've taken care completely of the initiative. So that happened a few weeks ago. I think it launched one month ago now. And yeah, it's been pretty great. It's been completely permissionless. Um, there's basically a little website where it's maybe I can share. Um, but there's a website explaining the program. And let me just share that in a second. Mm. 
And what I like is the simplicity of it. It's not something where you have to dig super deep into a protocol. It's simply Diva early sticker vaults. It's using existing code. Um, and I like that as well, because if you would develop a custom solution, we need to develop a smart contract. Then that smart contract, either you need to trust the developer or you need to trust governance to run that. So I like that this is non-custodial. Um, and the basic idea is deposit ETH or ETH and get Diva tokens. So yeah, the app is under development. Um, somebody depositing several ETH could get X amount of Diva eventually. And there's these three phases. So phase one is you deposit. Um, and I'm just sharing in the screen how it works. But in, in phase one, you can deposit the ETH. Um, and you you determine how much diva you can earn potentially, but you don't earn it yet. It's kind of waiting. You're you're saving your place in the line. Then once diva launches, everything's staked into diva, and then you start earning rewards, and you get like a thirty day look back for waiting. Um, and you can withdraw any time, by the way. And once the initiative finishes, six months after, in total, you get the full rewards. So what I like about this initiative is it's non-custodial, so you're not giving it to anybody. Um, there's an incentive to deposit STEs because then you get to kind of put it away. Um, you get to earn additional ETH and the potential DIVA rewards. But also, if you don't agree with how DIVA is going to be built, you can withdraw it at any moment. So somebody just has this optionality of saying, look, um, I will support it, but if something happens in the meantime, or I need to sell, or I don't like the direction it's going, I can always take it out. So it's not like you're locking anything. Um, that's what you have at the moment. There's also this nice incentive um, to reward people depositing earlier. So if you are one of the first 10,000, just like the first miners, you get higher rewards. Uh, as you keep going down, the rewards get smaller and smaller to kind of reflect that you know, you you did more for the protocol by by being early. We're at so, six thousand, so we're still in the second tranche for any of those people listening. Um, but if you if you're listening on the podcast, it is ten thousand k ETH tranches, where zero to ten k ETH gets two point five ETH um, per day, and then ten to twenty gets two point two five, and then twenty to thirty thousand gets two two Tifa. So there is an incentive to, as he said, as, as Pablo was saying, to put your ETH in earlier. And, you know, there's only 3750 ETH left in this current trench. <laughs> That's it. Thanks thanks for putting that. Uh, and yeah, and for anyone listening, the difference is you drop from 2.5 to 1.3. So there's almost a 2x difference. And the rationale here comes a little bit from, from the halvings of Bitcoin, like the, the earlier you are, the more you benefit from supporting this. So I'm just sharing here some numbers. Uh, I think it's been one month. Yeah, it's almost exactly one month. And at the moment, there's $33 million in deposits. That's 18,000 ETH. The full goal is to reach 100,000 ETH. 100,000 would be, well, funny, <laughs> 170 million or so. So yeah, what we saw is a lot of people actually deposited STEs. Uh, there's a small amount of people depositing ETH because they didn't want to route even temporarily through through LIDA. Um, 
and yeah, it's been about 700 depositors. So good start, I would say. <laughs> Did you help design the economic incentive here? Or is that entirely community? Did they come and ask for your feedback? So Ensign was clear that they wanted to build an incentive program. Um, and then it was kind of up to the community. In the first round, it looked a bit different. For example, it said, you will get paid for waiting. Like if you deposit today and you're waiting for six months, you will get incentives for all that time. And then the community pushed back. And a lot of people said, well, why are we incentivizing if it's not live yet? So there were two or three rounds of changes. And yeah, eventually this was the design that we settled on. I think probably it could have been designed to go faster and to fill in instantly. But um, I think it's a good compromise because yeah, we still have a few months to go until mainnet. Yeah, so so the the eternal question, right? When mainnet? Mm -hmm. <laughs> the current estimate we're expecting is three months. <laughs> yeah, we're expecting Q1. Q1, um, depending on also the EIPs, because there's a couple EIPs in Ethereum we would like to see, like uh, for like smart contract trigger withdrawals would be really good for Diva because it will allow you to cut cut risk if anybody is like, if the nose goes offline. So, but that's not going to happen until the next real. fork, right? So, like after ten yeah. So the question then, and that's a major question for LST protocols. Like, if a feature is not there and you really, really benefit from it, do you stay in the old version and make it immutable, or do you wait a little bit, but then you're compromising on security and opening something for governance? So, it would be great if that would be ready, but yeah. We need to see. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean, my guess is that doesn't happen for a year. Are you, are you going to use that as a blocker, or, or will that be a blocker? Or no, there would. There's three levels. So on Diva, on Diva, Diva doesn't control any of the operation, right? It's fully operator driven. So anybody can spin up a node. The problem is anybody can start turning off their nodes, and if they turn them off, there's no way to exit that validator. Uh, from what I understand, I think it would be possible to do it outside the smart contract via DAO governance. Uh, so developers are looking at that. But there's two ways to exit. One is if the operators agree. The other one is the smart contract forces it. Now, the operators could agree if you start losing liveliness. Imagine you start losing nodes, but not enough. Then there could be a threshold that's risky, and you could exit it then. So it's still something developers are designing. but uh, yeah, I think I think it would be great to have that EIP <laughs> for the final design. And you said that's one EIP. Are there any others that you're waiting for? Yeah, there's also 4788. So that brings the beacon the beacon root, and so you can read data from the consensus layer. Uh, Diva is building for a zero knowledge oracle that's trust minimized. So there's not an oracle of people voting, but it's zero knowledge cryptography. And that has a dependency with 4788. So uh, for that to ship, this EIP should be in as well. And that is scheduled for Denkun, right? So I believe I think so. We, we should get that by Q1. Uh, you know. I think so. Um, the EIPs where I haven't seen so many news, the last news we saw in the pull request was from May or so. So I'm a bit worried <laughs> that that probably is not coming soon. But uh, I also heard Danny say that that's super important and that we shouldn't delay it. So hopefully we see it soon.
Yeah, I think I think uh, from everything I've seen, that's that's like nearly guaranteed to be to be in this in this current hard fork. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, when of course Denkun happens, is uh, you know I don't know. It, uh, it's taking longer, I think, than than we all expected to to add uh, you know this proto dank charting four eight four four these data blobs. I'm curious, like what you think about building a product that. The purpose is to take away from them, right? Like the, the thing I think about when it comes to vampire attacks is what happened with Tina Swap and Sushi Swap back in the day. That was obviously highly toxic. I mean, uh, Chef Nami was a very decisive figure, decisive figure, uh, and that whole f- end of DeFi summer was explosive. This doesn't seem like that, and I think a lot of people are looking at this and be like, "Oh, this is actually not positive for the space." But from a startup perspective, and you being in the trenches and, and going against someone who's so much larger in terms of uh, TVL. How are you guys thinking about going up against Lido? Well, the main question is whether we'll build it and that's better. <clears throat> and you could say, well, even if it's another Lido, it would be better because it would be a different smart contract, different group of people, different DAO. But the way we look at it is it needs to be 10 times better to really make a difference, right? And the things we're trying to do different are these. So when you go to Lido today, um, it's basically proof of authority where you're trusting this, this whitelist of operators. Um, and that algorithm, even in the future, so I can share here, um, I can share the um, kind of modules that they're going towards. And they have, a, they have a system. So what they move towards in Lido v2 is, okay, this is moving away from the monolithic system of the node operator registry. And they're adding these modules. So in this image, they say, okay, you could have a community validation with bonds. You could have it reputation-based. You could have it with bonds, with another thing. And in a way, it doesn't matter what's behind if you still have a gatekeeper that's controlled by the DAO in front of everything. Because then you're still routing everywhere you want. And actually, when EIP 7002 comes, EIP... 7002 gives you the control to withdraw validators whenever you want. So if you have the power to fire anybody and get the ETH and rewrite them anywhere you want, what you have is full control over that ETH. And yes, you can withdraw it and there's a lot of risk mitigation measures, but you're still, whatever you put behind, you're essentially a router that's sending it to different things. So with Diva, we said, we're going to design something that's very, very different. So in Diva, everything we do is routed in a, um, in a code-based manner. So when you deposit ETH and, um, and there's operators that are ready to serve you, these operators are posting collateral and the smart contract is sending to them in a random way that's based on on-chain entropy, um, but also in a way that's always collateralized. So there's not a way for the smart contract to suddenly change the routing and say, oh, you're going to do, get more or less. It's basically a kind of iteration of the, it's kind of a wrapper of their theory and deposit contract. So the theory and deposit contract says, you give me 32 ETH, I'll give you a validation key. What we did in Diva is we tried to make something that's as close as possible to that original design. And I tried to make a table here. So for those listening, I'm showing a table with Ethereum staking versus Diva staking. And what we did is we said, it's going to be inspired by this, but kind of a layer two, we're going to simplify it. So instead of 32 ETH, we will need one. 
instead of one key per validator, there will be 16 keys per validator. Instead of needing one key, you will need 11 out of 16. Instead of getting APR, APR from only staking rewards, the stakers will pay the operator so they get extra rewards. Instead of not having liquid staking, we will have liquid staking built in. So there's that kind of this one-to-one -one equivalence and improvements where you can think of Diva as a wrapper around Ethereum staking. And in that sense, we're a lot closer to liquidity for those who are familiar. Liquidity is a stable coin that's not backed by a real world asset, um, but that's really backed by code. And there's no governance and it's kind of this immutable dis design. So what I think is there's gonna be a lot of value in this being deterministic, not having a, an attack surface. And when you're thinking of the future of the next applications coming, even going cross-chain to layer twos, this is going to become more and more important because if not, you're only going to be as resilient as the weakest, the weakest link in the chain. So that's why liquid staking is at the base of DeFi and we build Diva to be kind of as, as robust as possible. So I spent some time this last year uh, designing uh, a staking pool, which I think um, I'm not entirely sure where the uh, engineering effort is on that right now. <laughs> but <laughs> logic anything, even when it is uh, much simpler than Diva, is you know is complicated. And one thing that I was surprised by was the Oracle risk. And you mentioned the zk Oracle in there as well, which I think is really really cool because that definitely will minimize the Oracle risk. I, I guess what can you tell me about about the zk Oracle? Like you know. Is it something that you all y'all also saw and you know thought like oh we have to have this because really it's not trust minimized unless you have some... mm -hmm. yeah exactly so that's something like you're saying many people are just not aware but oracles like most protocols are relying on humans to run some machine report some data and have a consensus of what's true but that means that your weakest link again becomes who are those humans reporting. Because in a lot of places, it might be a multisig, it might be three out of five, it might be a small group of 10 or 20 members. Uh, and if you would basically hack the version they're running, or if you would get all of them to collude, you could manipulate the price. So the solution to that is having a smart contract reading. But that's not so simple because the execution layer and the consensus layer don't communicate directly. So with a new AIP, 4788, it will be possible to have some degree of communication. And what we're developing is with another team specializing in zero knowledge, which I can share in the notes. Um, basically what they're developing with us is there will be these light clients in both chains, in, in like the source chain and the target chain. And what they're doing is they're, they can, like you can produce a proof of things like TVL balance or validation performance. And you can know for sure that it's true from the smart contract. So this is a very complex thing because zero knowledge is new. Uh, you know, proving times can be very large. The cost could be prohibitive sometimes. But what we're looking for is to say, how much ETH is DVETH, the LST, backed by? And that's a really hard problem. <laughs> we're prototyping at the moment. It looks positive, um, but it's still a research project that we're hoping to ship. So if this works, the trust assumption is basically basically zero. Like 
if you don't trust it, you can run your own because as long as you have one honest answer, you know that the answer is correct. And who is that team? Uh, it's a team from Dendrith. It's led by Sahari. And um, if there's notes, I'll share the link. But what's interesting is everybody wants this to exist. So we actually funded this project. Liva was the first uh, collaborator to fund it. But now Lido, uh, maybe Rocket Pool is looking into it too. We have encouraged everybody to look into it because even if we do amazing, we want everybody else to also have that level of security. So it will be a public good and it will be open source completely. And that's not, but I mean, it's a research project, so that's not a blocker to shipping. Like it's... The alternative is to have a kind of multisig based Oracle, but we would like to avoid it if possible. Right. And then if so, if you wait for that, if you don't wait for that, then you would either have to like, you're, you're either in the, you don't want to have upgradable contracts. You're just going to launch a new version. Um, there could be a middle point. There might be a way to accept an Oracle change. So to upgrade only the Oracle without affecting a smart contract. And that could be something where the DAO decides. So I'm optimistic. I think it will work, but if it wouldn't work, there will be like a transition process that's very clear. I got it. Yeah. So what we're kind of designing for everything here because uh, it's still in the gray area. What else is sort of? I feel like I've overused the word blocker, but I'm going to use it again. <laughs> what else is it like a blocker for mainnet? Like, what else do you need to do to to get to get this live? Um, honestly. It's not that hard. So you have the collateral, which we spoke about. You have the withdrawals, the exits. There is a cryptographic thing which we would like to do, which is to allow consensus-based removal of operators. So if somebody is not performing well, to have the rest of the network softly take them out. But these are kind of improvement. Nothing's, nothing's a blocker. Everything just makes it better. Um, and the way we think about Diva is there is a final state. What could be really... What's really critical for us is that the base layer stops changing. So there's some big things, like for example, are we going to add validator uh, limits to the churn to slow it down? That could be good for the network, but it also affects everybody in a bit unpredictable ways. Things like increasing the maximum effective balance, um, that would allow much bigger validators, but it also means that it needs to be built into the specifications. So what I'm hoping for is that we slowly start approaching the final design of Ethereum staking because then we're designing like for eternity, right? But um, yeah, we, I think we're all as a community arriving to what's that ideal design. I mean, what I hear you saying is basically we have something really cool, of course, underneath us, like Ethereum ship stuff, and so we have to like figure out exactly when we're going to ship. It's obviously not until Denkun ships. And that's, I guess, good and bad from a shipping perspective because it sort of gives you a deadline, but that deadline also is not set. <laughs> um, but then it's not the ideal state, most likely. So you're eventually just going to have probably multiple front ends and multiple smart contracts because you're going to have just a different, a different contract. Okay. So uh, the the way 
the way we're thinking about it is it should be as final as possible. And if something needs to change, then only that small part should be something that is possible to like upgrade or change, but without affecting the core functioning. So a good okay, model, so you're going to have a modular is, smart contract. And then if there is that one thing that is possibly upgradable, then like that's the thing that will still be upgradable. Okay. That's what I was missing. Absolutely. Right yeah. There. So for example, Rocketpool has something like this. I think the RETH contract for minting is immutable, but a lot of other things are mutable. Uh, I think a lot of, like too many things are mutable and can change over there. But I think a structure like that could work where this part is ossified, you know, that's not going to change. But maybe, for example, the withdrawal is a module where you want to be able to change that because there's a major upgrade coming. So it will really depend on the base layer. Let's talk about, so we've talked a bit about scalability, but we've talked about it more on the liquidity side. And I guess let's talk about node operators. I guess, I mean, it sounds like you're not as worried about that because you only need one ETH to be you know, a node operator. So, you know, you can potentially like spin up a bunch of those things. Uh, I mean, one person that has, has some ETH could potentially spin up a bunch. And if the opportunity is there, presumably they would. There's two parts. One is how inclusive is it? Like, if anybody can run from one ETH, amazing. You're going to have a long tail of a lot of people running operators. But then how worth it is it? Because if I'm saying you can put one ETH uh, and I'm going to give you a higher return, let's say, imagine you get twice as much or three times as much return. If today you get 4% on Ethereum and I give you 8% or 10%, it sounds like a lot more, but it's still 10% of an ETH. So it's not going to be worth it for you to run a machine. So scalability for me means not just being inclusive, but making it worth it at scale. So I really think there is a way because the stakers pay a 10% fee. That fee goes to the operators. I think there's a way to be smart on how you match those to make sure that the operators are making a really good business case for that. And what we have so far, we've been approached by some larger ETH holders who say, I don't want liquidity. I actually want to run operators on Diva. I would like to have additional operator rewards. So um, like, how can I work? And we've been brainstorming different models and these operators have committed 21,000 ETH. So we're talking that we actually have more ETH from operators <laughs> at the moment than ETH from stakers. We have 21 versus 17,000 uh, as of now. So I'm not too worried. I think, I think there's gonna be a huge demand for more like higher rewards on ETH. And some people will prefer liquid staking, other people just want higher rewards on ETH. So I think those two are gonna level out. Say we hit a hundred thousand ETH in the in the melon enzyme avant-garde. I'm sorry, I get lost <laughs> in the in the nomenclature here. Um in in, in the in the, the current fault. Uh, do you anticipate that like there might be more incentives? Because like 21,000 ETH on the node operator side suggests that you have plenty more scalability even after 100,000 ETH on the liquidity side. Yeah, so the enzyme vault is only for 100,000 ETH and the 21,000 I mentioned are separate. Um, so I call them, we're still work, working on whether there's an incentive for that or not, but I call them operator commitments. So yeah, I think there's going to be operator TVL, there's going to be staker TVL, there's probably going to be liquidity provision TVL. So yeah, it depends on where you see yourself. If you're somebody really conservative, you just take. If you have a node and you want to run more, then operator. 
uh, and liquidity providing is going to be probably the longer term one. I think the thing we haven't really talked about here is the thing that sort of makes this all possible, which I think is probably not exactly your strength, but you, I'm sure you can give us the good high level overview of like distributed key generation. As I think we've maybe said it, but like let's let's talk and talk about that a little more. So there's a great talk if I'm able to link it. It's called "The Magic of Distributed Validators" by Prada, uh, my co-founder. And the beauty here is if anybody's used an MPC DKG uh, like Fireblocks, for example, what tools like Fireblocks do is they use several computers who talk to each other and dynamically generate a key. So I'm not talking you have a key and you split it because then somebody could see the key and it would be compromised. I'm talking about machines talking to each other and generating parts of the key. So what Diva does is exactly that. But usually in a custody environment, you can say, okay, here's a ceremony, pam, pam. We have the key shares, it's safe. But Diva has to do that continuously, dynamically, and in a, like requiring no user intervention. So what developers had to build is they build this protocol with a peer-to-peer -peer layer where the nodes are connecting to each other and they're talking. And every time the smart contract says, hey, make a key, some of them step up and generate a key dynamically. But there's so many questions there, like how do you choose these nodes? How do you make it secure? How do you version things? How do you make sure that there's a fair distribution so they don't accumulate in the same cluster? How do you make sure that you don't create a bias for latency or things like that? Because if any of these things go wrong, you end up centralizing and compromising. So there's, um, there's a full talk talking about this, but it's a mix of um, cryptography with BLS signatures. It's a mix of self-governing um, protocol and a client built on top of Ethereum, um, kind of on-chain randomness, a bit everything. <laughs> so yeah, the, the thing is, once these keys exist, they all need to be connected in real time to the network. They need to hear every few seconds that they need to attest and they need to come together, coordinate, sign, go to mainnet and be as fast as a regular validator. So that's a huge undertaking. Today, SSV and Oval run parts of this process, but not fully integrated like Diva does into the economics. So I think what we're doing is technically probably one of the most ambitious projects in the space. So when we talked previously, we, I, I was concerned about the latency requirements, uh, and I'm just curious. Like, since we have, you know, we like 16 of the node operators come together, they create a key. They're every 12 seconds, they're talking, and uh, you need the design is 11 of the 16 to be online. What sort of latency requirements does this add to being a node operator? To, to having a node, a, a solo stake, basically? Uh, yeah, good question. So the short answer is a few hundred milliseconds. So it's not a problem at all for regular validation. The long answer would be in DVT, traditionally, there's two hops. Diva has cut it to one hop to make it a bit shorter. Um, and also, you don't need all of the 16 to sign. You just need the fastest of the 16. So. At the moment, it's working quite well in testnet, in Gurley. And Gurley, remember, is, is, is not great, <laughs> let's say. Sometimes it fails, it's not mainnet. Um, we're hoping that with Holsky, numbers are going to be even better. But so far, it's looking great. Uh, one thing developers are working on now is integrating Kurtosis. Kurtosis gives you like the ability to kind of 
tests, many configurations, do some uh, kind of uh, capacity testing. So yeah, I think all that stress testing is is about to start. And how is the girly experience? Because my understanding is, I mean, it is semi-deprecated. It's supposed to be deprecated, deprecated, but I think it's yeah. more or less semi-deprecated at the moment. Mm-hmm. And are people still mostly running the validators? Like, is the what is like any any updated stats on? I don't know. I guess mm-hmm. how many validators are still there? What kind of? So it sounds like a challenging environment. So it's it's pretty promising that it's it's running really well on on girly. Um, yeah, one one of the issues we had is that some of the people who were early in the testnet stopped running their nodes, and because we still don't have the fallback feature, those lost nodes are lost. So soon we're going to do a reset of the testnet with Hosky, which I'm excited about because you get a lot of airdrop hunters who install something, <laughs> turn it off, then it affects your liveliness. But on Hosky, but I think that's actually really good for you, right? If it's still working, like yeah. even with all that, all that you know, overhead of people quitting and, you know. Well, we're missing some of the fallback features, but once they're there, that would be the beauty, right? It would be that you can plug people off randomly and they keep regenerating. But because we're in an alpha, we still don't have that resiliency. So it's slowly coming. <laughs> At the moment, yeah, I'm looking forward to Husky first because it's much faster to sync. So I think people should be up and running much better. And second, because it will be like this big reset. So now that we know how things work, we can like make a plan, maybe put incentives for completing testnet. Um, yeah, anything like that to kind of simulate real world usage. Because right now it's monopoly money; like nothing's at stake. <laughs> so it's it's not really exactly mainnet. You just hinted at incentive incentivized te- testnet and. Uh... The good and the bad of this space is people love to hunt those airdrops, <laughs> but this is yeah they'll actually have to do something. Uh, I guess like tell us like what's the what's the plan there? Well, there's no plan at the moment, but a lot of people are asking. So what I would say is, I think there should be a plan that helps node operators get to mainnet, not just testnet and test things. I think we should hold your hand and kind of help you get set up and be actually there. And when we're talking. Today you can earn deposit. You can earn incentives for depositing in a vault. Well, you should be able to do that as well as an operator. It's just like I think the end goal is not running something in testnet. It's actually coming to, to mainnet. But that's an open discussion. And anyone listening, if you have some input, you can come to our Discord and and talk about it. Yeah, tell us about the vampire attack experience and for for other people who are thinking of like doing this similar style attack to like bootstrap their own their own project, how would you uh, suppose they should go about it from what you've learned? Yeah, so I think it's actually very positive, right? It sounds like a vampire attack, but companies do this all the time. Like you're with some provider, you're starting, uh, it helps diversify. So the way it happened for Diva is with Enzyme, you have this zero zero code tool, right? You can just create a vault, it's non-custodial. And as long as you do something pretty standard, people contrast that that's been around for a while, right? So if you want to do a vampire attack, (laughs) first choose something non-custodial. You can make your own contract. You can use Enzyme. You can use even a liquidity pool if you have two assets and you want to incentivize via that. But the easier you make it and the better you choose something that's already existing, the better, because otherwise you have to look into all the contracts. Um, And then just make it super simple. So we just made it time-based. Like the longer you're 
staking, the more diva you can accrue, and that makes a lot of sense. Uh, but don't overcomplicate it. I saw a lot of projects like promising points or like something a bit undefined. Uh, I personally hate that. <laughs> I think it's much better to be upfront and to know what you're getting because then more sophisticated people can run some numbers and you know see what makes sense for them. But uh, yeah, it doesn't need to be complicated. It's kind of putting existing DeFi Legos together. Do you think we'll see a lot more people launching these? Based on conversations Definitely. you have, do you think they're imminent? Um, I heard from Enzyme that another LST will probably do something. So sounds like sounds like yeah, <laughs> it will be a thing. Because it's interesting, right? Enzyme got built for fund managers, and it's a decentralized fund manager, right? Like you can do things, and you trust the manager with the strategy. But a vampire attack is basically a do nothing kind of strategy. You just deposit it there, and eventually you stake it. So. It's a bit surprising, but I think it's a really good use case. Another thing you could do is not just incentivize TVL, but actually incentivize liquidity. So if you have your token, for us it's DVETH, the LST, you could say, oh, I'm going to make a vault, but it won't just be DVETH. Maybe it's DVETH versus ETH or DVETH versus you name it. So you can get a bit more sophisticated and not just write TVL, but kind of on-chain behavior you want to see. So for us, it's really simple. It's just TVL and liquidity, but I'm sure others will have like more fun strategies. I believe this, this the actual Solidity code was deployed in 2017, and it is relatively, I don't think it's upgradable. Either way, I mean, it's been around for a while, so it is relatively battle-tested. There's only maybe a, 100 million uh, in TVL right now, and 30% of that is the, the Diva vault. So... I just wanted to give some context around, you know, people that are thinking about doing this. I mean, you can trust that the code has been around for a while. A lot of people have looked at it, uh, as I understand it. I mean, you know, do your own research, et cetera, et cetera, not financial advice. But, uh, you know, like there's been a decent amount of money, maybe not a, a crazy amount of money, but a decent amount of money in there for a long time. So it is interesting, though, that, that as you said, like it was built for fund managers and now, you know, Thirty percent is is the Diva Vault. It shows DeFi Legos, right? It's the sort of interesting. You can you can reapply them and and use them in different ways, in a permissionless ecosystem. And I think the beauty the beauty of all this is now we have another tool to encourage decentralization, right? Like when we had the client diversity debate. It was easy because you just had to switch from Prism to something else and all of them have the same financial incentive. But now you have this tougher battle. Like uh, Superface was saying, like, uh, you know, now there's APR and there's liquidity and, and it's much harder, right? But you can still use you, you can still use tokenomic incentives to get people to switch and to kind of go back from these really big players to, to something that's decentralized. Um and yeah, we'll see what are the next battles coming and what are the next tools that we need for the next centralization problems in Ethereum. But for now, uh, we're just starting. It's only been one month. Um, I think there's a lot of work that we need to do. And Lido has uh, managed to tip one percentage point down, but we're still facing this big centralization. Um, between Lido and Coinbase, I think it's 46% of the network today. Uh, that's not ideal, but I think we also have the tools to kind of get out of that. So I'm looking forward over the next year to have a lot more diversity, better tools, more awareness, and 
and yeah, we all have a part to play in this. You know, even like Rocket Pool or anything, even Diva, I, like there is an element of like it's new and not yet battle tested. So, like we like we were just literally thinking about it ourselves, and we were going to have an LSD, for example, and then we said, honestly, I don't like if I'm going to do something and launch it and try to convince other people to use it, like I want to be able to put like a decent chunk of my own ETH in it. And I can't really do that if I feel like it's not the absolute most risk averse thing out there. So I think I'm, I think I'm probably going to run more, more diva uh, like nodes when, when, when I get launched, but that's not the, that's not your, that's not your, your bottleneck. Right. So no, but uh, I actually, for people like you, we are defending the operator side. So if somebody would stick with you, imagine this case, and um, it's a bit early to share this, but I'll just tell you. But if people give you the Diva, instead of staking them on Ethereum, if you stake them on Diva as collateral, non-liquid, then you would get three times the APR from Ethereum, just because of the way the ratios work. So if somebody would just wants to max APR, um, you could use it as collateral in Diva. It's basically like a restaking, if you think about it. You're restaking with yourself. Maybe one thing we should talk about is is the I, I guess the fallback feature is something we that is pretty interesting and is really important. Cool. So one thing that's important as well when you're doing distributed validation is because the nodes are working together and you need two thirds to produce something. Um, there is going to be points where somebody's offline, maybe some node is, you know, has an outage or there's a censorship, whatever it is. So Diva, because Diva doesn't have any control over the node operators, there needs to be a way of having fallbacks and kicking people out and so on. So the base idea is you only need two thirds of the people, right? Um, if you would have 95% uptime, which is not very good with just one person, then the result is your 95% uptime. But once you say, okay, now I have two out of three, or now I have three out of five, or 11 out of 16, it turns out when we run the numbers that if you do 11 out of 16, you turn 95% into 99.99. And that's just a mathematical result of, you know, some things are failing constantly, but they don't fail at the same time. There's not that much correlation. So what we learned is to make that work, you actually need to avoid every single point of failure. So when you have a committee, if you, if it's your turn to aggregate the signatures, we need to make a fallback for that. So the developers have been looking at a lot of cryptographic um, kind of algorithms on how to form consensus. And they've chosen ones that have fallbacks that allow something to fail and have the next one take over um, for the signatures. But that's just in real time, right? What happens if you progressively lose people? So what they built is ways to kind of regenerate health in the network. So if somebody is not performing or they've been offline for a long time, what you can do is have the rest of the people kick them out and regenerate their key. So what that gives you is at any point if the network drops a little bit in liveliness, the network can kind of identify who it needs to kick out, maybe collect a little bit of collateral to penalize, and regenerate with a fresh key. So it's kind of like uh, it's Terminator 2 emits, <laughs> where you're constantly regenerating and, and going back to 100%. So obviously, there's a lot of cryptography behind, and there's some economic incentives to discourage people. But um, once the follow-up features are complete, 
it's going to be really nice to watch that internet. Pablo, where can we uh, find more information about Diva and then give us like a little bit more context and information as we're closing about like some aspirations and goals as you guys go into the holiday season here? Yeah, so thanks for having me. Um, you can learn everything about Diva and divastaking.com. The Twitter is also divastaking. Uh, there's a Discord, uh, Diva. Basically, if you go to our Twitter, divastaking, you'll find everything. And specifically about the early staker vampire program, you can find that at diva.enzyme.finance. So that's diva.enzyme.finance. And yeah, there's a simple landing page explaining it all. And there is 2,700 ETH left. I think I misspoke and I said 3,700 ETH earlier. There is 2,700 ETH left in the current trench. So if you want to maximize your Diva rewards and get in on one of the exciting projects helping to defend Ethereum, and decentralize, keep Ethereum staking decentralized, you can go there and earn your Diva. Diva.enzyme.finance. Mm-hmm.